All right, everybody. Great to see you guys. Yeah. Hey, listen, if you can see me, just wave. All right, just wave. Hey, if you can see me in the venue, just wave. Okay? I can see you. Uh, you're not waving over on the right side. Hey, if you can see me out in uh, North Platte, just wave at me. All right, there you go. All right. Hey, listen, I want to say hello to everybody that's watching, including you that are traveling right now, and you may be watching us online. Big hello to all of the New Life family, no matter where you are. I know that here at the Kearney campus, spring break has started, and every kid says what? All two of them. That's good. That's because all the kids are down in the kids' ministry. Yes. I love it. I love it. But we got some, we got teenagers though, right? And teenagers love it. There you go. And moms and dads, do you like spring break or not? You do? (laughs) Yeah. For some of you, you're like, yeah, we're traveling. We love it. We love it. Yeah. But otherwise, you kind of like call in. You got to check on your your teenagers at home every day. Are you getting done what I told you to get done? And they're like, I'm on vacation. And you're like, not as long as you live in this house. All right. So uh, those are just the discussions that happen in my house. I don't don't know how it goes anymore. Uh, You know, I mean, man, all our kids are gone. And so... That's the way it goes. I know spring break, it comes and goes. I, I'm just a normal adult now that doesn't get a spring break. Go, come on, normal adults that don't get spring breaks. Let me hear from you. There you go. There you go. But praise God for vacations. Amen. Right on. Yes. I love it. Hey, listen, we are in week seven of seven. Yes. If you do math quickly, then you quickly ascertained that this is the last week of our current teaching series, James. If you are here and you're only listening to week seven of seven, and you would love to hear the other weeks, that means the other six weeks, then you can go to mynewlifechurch.com. Super simple, right? That's our website, mynewlifechurch.com. There we've archived all of the, the James teaching series as well as everything else um, is archived there. You can go back, <clears throat> you can pick up from where we uh, kind of been journeying here. I would just say this, we've been given a lot of feedback uh, during this teaching series that we've been doing about James. A lot of great feedback of people that are just going, man, God's word's coming alive to me like never before. And so I would highly encourage you, if uh, you've missed any of the teaching series, James, please go back onto mynewlifechurch.com and watch those, uh, watch those there. I love, I love for that to happen. Uh, in this teaching series of James, what we've really been looking at is that faith has to collide with every area of your life or otherwise your faith is dead. Like it's one thing to say that you believe in God. It's another thing to live it, right? It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to do it. And so this whole teaching series has been about not just being hearers of God's word, but being doers of God's word. So putting faith into action. And James, basically, he just comes right out and he just says it. Listen, if your faith doesn't, doesn't mix or collide with your works, then it's dead. And I know one thing for sure. As a pastor, I don't want to lead a dead church. Dead churches are closing doors all across the United States at record pace in 2016. That's not my opinion, that's fact. New life, as long as God gives us the grace to lead, we are never going to become a dead church. We want to be a church that's alive. A church that's alive leads other people in their community to Jesus. That's who we want to be. Right? We want to be a church meaning you as a person that's alive, like you're growing in your understanding of God, you're growing in your relationship with God, you're growing in your passion for God. Is that who you are today? I pray that it is. 
And, you know, if for whatever reason you feel like you're going through a desert time or a, you're going through a time of struggle or whatever, just know this, God is with you, right? And he's trying to reveal himself to you in a powerful way. So let's become a church that is alive. So today we're going to be looking at James chapter 5. If you've got your smartphone with you, please log into the YouVersion app. Uh, I want you to search now in the YouVersion app for events. All right, you'll click on the more button or the three little dots or the three little lines. You click on events. Boom, up comes the opportunity to click on the Kearney campus. New Life Church, Kearney campus. We also have out there for the North Platte campus as well. So you're going to want to find that. Um, If you've got the ability for your phone just to kind of search where you're at, it's automatically going to come up. Events, though, is where you want to go to. There is some tremendous information there. I just will say this as a disclaimer. Uh, the version guys have updated their app, and it is beautiful. There, there's all kinds of things we can do with it now that we were unable to, but here's one of, you know, everything has its pros and its cons. The con to it is this, at 12 o'clock today, what we put out there will be gone. You won't have it for the rest of the week, unless you hit save. So if you want those notes, you want that information, you want to hang on to it for the rest of the week, you're going to have to hit save so that you can keep it. So that's in the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have that, go to your, go to your app store and download it. It's going to give you a ton of free Bibles, a ton of free biblical resources. It's all free to you. And by the way, let me just say this. It is free, and it's totally worth it. It's not one of those things that's free, um, and you wish that you, you know, never had downloaded. You're going to want that. You're going to want to use it. So James Chapter 5 is where we're going to end this whole thing. James in this chapter, you got to remember, James didn't write a book for the Bible. It's not like the, it's not like the guys who were putting the Bible together went to James and said, hey, hey, James, you know, we're going to need a few books to put in this thing called the Bible. Would you write one of them? So you got to know that right off the bat, right? James was writing a letter to a group of people, and the people he was writing it to were a bunch of Jewish Christians, people that believed in Jesus, but yet they were scattered all over because of persecution that was coming against them after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, so here they are, they're, they're scattered, and James is writing this letter to them, basically. And you know, now we've broken it down into chapters and verses for our own personal study and you know, it's great. It's awesome. But in James' day, he's writing this letter. He gets to the end of the letter, and he starts to basically summarize the letter. James chapter 5 is basically him summarizing some of his key thoughts and driving home a couple of his last moments going, if you didn't get anything in the rest of this letter, let me wrap it up for you. And James in the chapter 5, he basically gives a lot of warnings as well to us and how we should be living our lives in light of the fact that Jesus is returning. Here at New Life, we believe that Jesus is coming back. And we believe that we need to be living our lives according to God's word so that when Jesus comes back, man, we, we're living our lives in a way that we, we are with him for eternity. So that's what James believed. That's what we believe here at New Life as well. So he's given these warnings. Uh, it's kind of like you. you. You've bought things that have warning labels on them. Has anybody ever bought anything that has a warning label on it? Have you? How many of you guys have, you, I mean, warning labels are on like everything. You guys, how many of you guys have like actually even read any of the warning labels at all? If any of you guys just kind of like just breezed right past them, like, ah, oh, who cares about the warning label? Like, I'm not that dumb, right? Well, warning labels are for a reason. It's because somebody tried it, right? So as an example, here's some warning labels. Six large eggs. That's what we're selling here, right? Warning label. Uh, allergy advice. Contains eggs. Somehow someone bought eggs, has an allergy, and didn't realize it had eggs. So now they got to post that on there. That's kind of crazy, but that's lame. Here's a better one. A hair dryer. Warning, do not use while sleeping. 
Who tries this kind of stuff, right? Why do we have to print that kind of stuff on a box? I know, some of you, because I mentioned it earlier, and someone's like, yeah, I tried it. You stick it underneath your covers, right, to warm up your feet or something like that, and then people are falling asleep. It's insanity. Stop the insanity. Let's go to the next one. Okay, now this one, I had to figure out what this was, all right? This is a hair straightener iron, all right? Ladies, any of you guys use a straightener iron at all? Can you straighten? Okay, some of you use it. Okay, others of you, you don't want to admit it. Okay, got it. All right, it's cool. But here's the warning. It's supposed to be used for hair. Here's the warning. Caution. This product can burn eyes. Who tried this, right? Who said, oh, this thing is awesome. It's going to straighten my hair. I got it. Let's try it on my eyelashes. It's a great idea, right? Genius. No, it doesn't. Don't do that kind of stuff. In fact, I don't know. Maybe none of my friends have hairy eyeballs. So I know that they're not using it on, on that. At least maybe I should look a little closer. But you got a hanger here. This is a normal hanger. Caution. Don't, don't swallow. Who tried that stuff, man? I know at a circus you can go and you can see someone swallow a sword, but who's sitting around their living room going, let's try to swallow this thing? And then they got to advertise that? It's crazy. All right, let's go to the next one. Here's an iron-on. Any of you moms or dads ever did an iron-on for your kids? Right, here's the warning. On this iron-on, do not iron while wearing shirt. Seriously, I, I mean, I could see a dad doing that accidentally like, son, get over here. Oh, this is going to be super, super easy. Don't take it off. Don't worry about it. I was just, like, ow, oh, that hurts, Dad. Oh, come on, suck it up, boy. Um, don't iron while wearing, for real. Come on, who does that kind of stuff? All right, now look, this is medicine. It's for a dog. The name, on the, dog, the name of the dog is Parker, all right? Here's the warning label. Parker the dog. Uh, be, be cautious, all right? It could cause drowsiness. Alcohol may intensify um, the effect um, use care when operating a car or dangerous machinery. Seriously? We got to have those kind of warnings even on dog medication? Did someone let their dog drive? Who does this kind of stuff? Right? What in the world? Here's the last one. Q-tips. Anybody use Q-tips? All right. You stick them in your ears, don't you? First warning. Do not insert swab into ear canal. There you go. So you can't use your Q-tips anymore. Everything has a warning. Obviously, we pay little attention to them. A few people have tried things, and so that's why we have certain warnings. James has given us chapter 5, and he gives us these warnings, all right? And he, and he kind of says to us, guys, listen, if you follow these warnings, you're, you're going to have a life that lines up with God's word. So your mission today is this, to heed the warnings that James has. So my advice to you is to ask a question all the way through this sermon. Is James, and what we're getting ready to talk about in chapter 5, is he is he talking about me? Is he talking about me? Our natural instinct when we hear scripture is to go, that's for someone else. Like that, that warning deals with somebody else. I think your first instinct should be just the opposite of that. Is James talking about me? And if he is, then your second response should be, Holy Spirit, what is it that I can do right now in this service to start correcting that and start changing my actions so they line up with you? Are you with me today? Because I'm going to tell you right now, James, he brings out the big guns in these warnings. His first warning is to the rich. His first warning is to the rich. Here's what he says in James 5, 1. He says, now listen, listen, you rich people, weep and wail. Wow, great news right off the bat, right? If you're a rich person, you just can't, you just can't wait to read the rest of this. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because... 
because of the misery, the misery, not the joy, the misery that is coming upon you. The misery that's coming upon you? I mean, if you just read that one verse, you would quickly come to the conclusion, James hates rich people. That's what you would come to the conclusion of. But it's, that would be an inaccurate conclusion on James and his approach to our riches. All right, now remember, is James talking about you? Well, how would you know that? You would know it by, by the fact that James is dealing with self-centered people that use their riches for themselves. He's talking about people that have put their hope in their riches instead of putting their hope in Jesus. And he's saying to them, hey, I'm just telling you something. There's a day of misery or a day of judgment that's coming. What is that day that's coming? The day that Jesus comes back is the day of misery or the day of judgment for those who have put their hope in their finances. Because he's basically saying to them, your finances might be and your money might be good on this earth, but it's of no eternal value. You're not going to take even one penny of what you have on this earth to heaven with you. You're never going to stand before God and say, God... I know, I know that I live life for myself, but hey, seriously, can I write a check to help you lay down some of that gold on the streets? Because man, I got the money, you know. Can I give you the treasure chest and get my way into eternity? He's saying there's a day of misery coming for you when you finally wake up and you realize that all of your earthly riches are nothing in eternity. And so he goes on and he tells them these next words. If the first verse wasn't harsh enough, he goes, oh, by the way, your wealth has rotted. Yeah, that's right. It's rotted. And moths have eaten all of your fine clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Hang on to that. Their corrosion, your gold and silver's corrosion, will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, listen, I've, I've got great news for you, and I'm so happy to be able to say this. These are not my words. <laughs> These are God's words, all right, out of God's word. He, he comes to us and he says, don't you even realize that your wealth, it has rotted? It has no eternal good? Once again, he goes, put your hope in Jesus, and he even goes on to say it this way. Your gold and your silver have corroded. You know what that word means? It can only mean one thing. It only translates as one word. Your gold and your silver have rusted. I know you might not know everything about metals. Iron, it rusts. Your car, over time, it rusts. Metal, right? It rusts like that. Steel rusts. Gold and silver don't rust. So is James just screwed up here? Did he he make an error when he said those words, that gold and silver, they're going to rust can you imagine being like a rich person back in his day where you actually have gold and you have silver and you got it stashed away and then you read this thing from this man who is the leader of the church and you're thinking to yourself, maybe it's a prophecy and so you run home to check all your gold and your silver and you're like, man, if it's rusted, it should weigh less. So you put it on a scale and know it weighs exactly like what it's supposed to weigh. What's this guy talking about? He's insane. Here's what he's dealing with. You know, gold and silver may not rust physically, but it tarnishes, it it discolors. You know how gold and silver tarnish and discolor? They do that over time, especially when they're left in dark, damp places, untouched for long periods of time. So here's what James is trying to say about riches. 
James is saying this, don't just hoard it away. Don't just stash it away in some selfish ambition that you will use it someday just to lavish it upon you in your own luxuries. But touch it often and give it away. Touch it often and maximize it. Touch it often and leverage it for the use of my kingdom. Touch it often because if you take a silver ring and you wear it often, guess what it doesn't do? It doesn't tarnish and it doesn't discolor. Oh, it will because that's just metal. It just happens. But it doesn't do it as quick. It doesn't do it as bad. It stays fresh. It stays more brilliant. It stays more useful. The more that you wear it, the more you touch it, the more you interact with it. So James is saying about your finances and my finances, interact with it often. Don't hoard it away, but use it to build my kingdom. You're going to find joy and you're going to experience joy that only can come from me because you're a part of my mission. That's what he's saying. Your blessings have come from God. Use them for him. Are you getting the point so far? Because then he says this, if you don't do that, if you don't do that, then here's what you need to know. The corrosion of your riches, not using them for God's kingdom, hoarding them up for yourself, the corrosion of your riches are going to act as a, as a testimony against you. The things that you consider to be assets are going to become liabilities. That's what, he's dealing, that's what he's dealing with here. It's like in a court of law, you're going to sit there and you're going to go, I've got all this wealth built up. And it's not going to stand there and testify for you, but it's going to testify against you. It's going to say, you're selfish. You're living for you. You're hoarding it for your own demise. Instead of God's going, I blessed you with it. How can you use it for my kingdom? James says that not only will it act as a testimony against you, but it will do something else. It will eat your flesh like fire. The corrosion. Remember that. It keeps coming back to the corrosion. The corrosion of your wealth will eat you like a fire. I'm just, I just got to tell you, there's only one way to interpret that. It will cause you to have eternal separation from God in hell. When our riches are just used on us, and they're not used to advance God's kingdom, it rots away inside of us. Now I want you to notice something here. What, where's the emphasis been on, on the rich and on your riches, or has the emphasis been on the corrosion of your riches? The emphasis in this whole passage has been on the corrosion of your riches. So I think instantaneously we can come back and, and get the conclusion that James is not attacking people because they are rich. James is addressing an issue that your riches are corroding because they're not being used in a way that honors God and in a way that builds God's kingdom. See, this is a very core value of James. James chapter one, all the way back to week one, verse 27. James, James says this, you know what true religion is? True religion, right, is blessing, helping, giving financially to orphans and the widows in their distress. This has been James' theme all the way through, and he's just wrapping it up here at the end, reminding you, if you want to have true religion, true religion that honors God, that worships God, that has God's heart, then you're going to have to figure out how not to hoard and let your gold and silver get corroded, which corrodes your heart as well, that causes death and separation for God from eternity. But you're going to have to use it and apply it to bless others, especially those that are in desperate need and in immediate need. So what can you do today to help people that are in immediate need? And I've got a couple of things for you. 
The first one is maybe a little bit more difficult for a pastor to say, but I'm just going to tell you right now, without excuse, I'm going to throw this out there. Consider putting New Life Church as part of your will and part of your family trust. Consider making a large donation to New Life Church. Why? Because right now we have communities knocking on our door where we are prepared and ready and wanting to go plant more churches like we did out in North Platte and bring fresh life to other hubs like Kearney. Rural hubs is where we're wanting to focus. Kearney's, uh, Grand Islands, McCook's, North Platte's, here in Nebraska, in other states. It doesn't matter to us. We are trying to become experts at planting life-giving churches in rural hubs. And there are plenty of rural hubs without life-giving churches. There are plenty of rural hubs that have communities the size of Kearney that are, you know, being left out on the cold because a lot of people are wanting to plant churches and they want to plant them in large communities. It's a lot easier to plant a church where there's, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people to pull from. It's a lot harder to plant a church where you've got 30,000 people to pull from. We want to be experts at that and we want to leverage everything that God's given to us to go do that. Why do we want to plant a church? Because new church plants reach the lost and they bring them into the kingdom of God. We want to see people saved. We want to stand at the gates of hell. We want to stand there and cause people to have to go through us to get into hell. We want to stand there and challenge them and say, it's not worth living your life this way. Come and follow Jesus. Find life again like you guys have. Find life again. And we want to do that. So unashamedly, I just say to you, consider putting new life in your will or your family trust or make a large donation and we will instantly activate those funds to figure out how we can reach more people for the cause of Christ. We're not going to waste dollars. We're going to maximize them. But here's another thing that you can do. You, You heard about the one day to feed the world? Well, this is happening this week. I want to encourage you. Take one day out of this week and work, work, and give those wages, bring them on Easter. We're going to take a special offering at the end of the sermon. We'll have our normal tithe and offering, but we'll take a special offering at the end of the sermon just for this one day to feed the world where we're going to tally all the money from all of our locations. And at the end of the service in North Platte, the venue and here, we're going to give one grand total of all that was given to help feed starving children. Let's put, let's put God's word into action. Let's not just be hearers of God's word, but let's be doers of God's word. So if one, day, if one day's wages are too much for you, then give 50%. Give 10%. Give $20. But let me just challenge you as your pastor. Every single person that can hear my voice right now should, should participate in this immediate need of feeding starving children. It's our duty as Christians To reach out, true religion is to care for the orphan, to care for the broken, to care for the poor. Just something. Bring it on Easter. We're going to take this special offering. It's going to be awesome, all right? So there are some things you can do immediately. But James ends this thought with this last warning in verse 5 where he says, Hey, you guys, you, you rich people, you've spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desires. You have what? You've fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. He gives this warning. He goes, listen, you need to let your faith, your faith in God, your hope in Christ, right, your love for Jesus, your desire to see God's kingdom grow, you need to let that collide with your finances or you're headed for death, like a cattle that's being fattened for slaughter. Yeah, if we don't do that, 
then we let, we let that hoarding corrupt our very soul. And over time, it leads us to a place of death. So what's my last word of advice for you concerning your finances and you want to have your heart line up with God's heart on this issue? Here's the one question you really need to address for yourself. You ready for this? Super simple. What is your enough? Like, what really is your enough? Like, think about it for a moment. Financially, what is enough for you? What does that mean? How would you define what your enough is? Like, as an example, your enough is somewhere between poverty and excess. Somewhere in between there, okay? And the beauty is this. Your enough is different than my enough. This is not some, this is not some legalistic message where I'm now going to define what enough is for you and then everybody has to toe the line. That's legalism, that's religion, that doesn't work, all right? What your enough is, 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 a, is an answer that only you and God's spirit can come up with. But have you been asking God what my enough is? See, your enough would involve all the basic needs that you have, putting a roof over your head and you know, some wheels on you so that you can drive around. It takes care of all your bills. It, you know, de- it deals with all the needs of your family. You know, it, it saves money so that you can take care of emergencies. You know, it saves money for retirement. It, it probably even helps your kids go to college or your grandchildren go to college. It, it takes care of your enough. But at some point in all of our lives, we get to this point where we had enough And we just kept adding to enough. And we kept using our riches for ourselves. And that means our riches, they're they're corroding. They're rotten. Somewhere we have to go back or we need to get to, whatever it is for you, to the enough line. And then start figuring out, God, how can I use the rest to advance your kingdom? So the simple question for you to stay out of the crosshairs of what God's word is saying here about our silver and gold corroding and rusting and rotting is to simply say, God, help me to figure out what my enough is so I can be part of your solution. And here's the good news. I'm not gonna compare my enough with your enough. And I don't want you to compare your enough with my enough. That's not the mission. Because if we do that, then we get into a, a game of judgment. So let's stay away from that. And let's just all seek God for ourselves and find that enough. Because when we do, then we're letting faith collide with our finances. And what's this whole point been about? It's been about this. When faith collides with your finances, then your finances have worth. Like, what have you been associating your finances with when it comes to worth? Because if it's not your faith, then you're not, asso- you're not finding the right worth in your finances. So when you let faith collide with your finances, that's when your finances truly have worth. Otherwise, your finances are worthless. They have earthly good maybe to them, but they have no eternal good. That's what God wants to use them for. I could stop right there. That could be a sermon in and of itself. But James doesn't stop there. James transitions to the opposite side. He goes, okay, that's you, the rich. Let me go to the ones that are suffering. Let me go to the victim. And so he jumps right in and he starts dealing with this in verse 7 and 8. He goes, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. See that? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So he comes out and he says, listen, have expectation, have an anticipation in the fact that no matter what you're suffering with, no matter where you're struggling, no matter what pain you're going through, no matter what struggle you've got in your life, wake up because Jesus is coming back. That's what it's all about anyways. 
It's not about what you're facing here on this earth. It's about the hope that you have beyond this earth. And see, that's the same message he was saying to the rich. It's not about what you can, uh, you can accumulate here. It's about what you can invest into God's kingdom to see his kingdom grow. It's not about the pain and the suffering you're experiencing here. It's about the release of that that you'll experience when we stand before Christ in heaven. Jesus is coming back. No matter what you're suffering with, it will come to an end one day. Don't worry about it. I was watching a movie by Tom Hanks. The, the movie's kind of new. It was called Bridge of Spies. Anybody see the movie, Bridge of Spies? So it's, it's, it's back in the era when Berlin, Germany split and it became east and west and they built the wall and families got separated from each other and people that work lost their jobs and it was just a very, very chaotic time. And about that period of time, we captured a Russian spy here um, in America, right? And he was going through his trials. He was, he was you know, standing before the court and you know, Tom Hanks was his, his lawyer and he had to defend him and you know, Tom says to him a few different times in the movie, like, man, aren't you afraid that you're going to lose your life? Aren't you worried that today they could take all of your freedom away and that you could die, you know, in the electric chair? Aren't you worried about that? And the Russian spy says to him in a question, will it help if I worry? Will it help? See, it really doesn't matter what you're facing. Will it help your situation if you worry? No. The answer to that is no. It never helps. You know, so worry and anxiety, they don't fix suffering. They really only make it worse. We have to be more like the farmer and realize God's at work sometimes under the surface. And something good is getting ready to pop out. But James gives us a warning even in our suffering. And and he said to people, he goes, listen, you're, you're struggling, right? I got it, I got it. But over time, it wears on people, and this is what begins to happen for you. Be careful of this, he says. Don't grumble against each other in your suffering, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble against each other. What we often do when we're in pain and we're in suffering is that we grumble, we point fingers at each other, we push the very people away from us that we need. Right? We're struggling. And so one of the things we do going back to the first part of this is that we point fingers at the rich and we're like, well, if we just had what they had, our situations would be better. Or no one cares about me or, you know, this or that or the church is against me or whatever the grumbling is. Grumbling doesn't fix anything. He says it only makes it worse. It only makes the situation worse when you grumble. You'll stay away from that in your suffering because you're pushing the very people that love you away from you. Don't attack them with grumbling. He says, do this instead. A few verses later, he goes, instead of grumbling, basically, do this. Are any of you suffering hardships? Some of you are. Guess what you should do? You, you should pray. Are any of you happy? Here's what you should do. You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? Here's what you should do. You. You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. He says things three times about you. He goes, listen, if you're suffering, here's what you should do. Focus your attention on God. Seek him. Know this one thing that in the midst of your suffering, you're not alone. God has not forsaken you. Pray to him. Seek his consolence. Seek his peace. Seek his comfort. Instead of grumbling. Right? Instead of attacking. 
And he goes, listen, but what if you're in a really, really good spot? What should you do? Just go, wow, thank God, and just go about your life? No, he goes, you should focus your attention on God as well, but praise him. Praise him for all the good that's happening. Yeah, but what if you're sick? And he basically says you should humble yourself. Humble yourself and ask for the elders of the church to come so that they will pray for you, that in the midst of that, God might heal you. See, it comes back to you. And he focuses all the attention on you and your suffering to focus back on God at the center. And that's a hard thing to do, guys. Because in the midst of our suffering, man, sometimes God becomes the last on the totem pole. We try to mend our own wounds. We go independent on him. Right? We go Rambo independent on him. And God's going, listen, you focus back on me. So here's what I want you to do today. If you are in need of prayer, here's the way today that you're going to call on the elders of the church to pray for you. In all of our locations, if you're in need of prayer today, this is what I want you to do. Today, this is what we're going to do. Come to the altar during our worship time and during our response time. If you'll come to the altar during our worship and response time, I guarantee you that life group leaders, spiritual leaders in the church, that pastoral staff, spiritual leaders in the church, any board members, spiritual leaders in the church, right? And then just anyone else that cares, anyone else that has compassion, come, meet with them at the altar, pray for them. You don't have to get in long conversations. Just kneel down next to them, put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them. You don't even have to know the person to do that. All right? Just come and minister to people. If you're in need today in North Platte, come to the altar, the venue, in the main auditorium. Come to the altar when the worship teams come. People are going to rally around you. We have to let faith collide with our suffering. Here's the point. When faith collides with your suffering, guess what it produces? A godly perspective. If you don't let faith collide with your suffering, you're only going to have a human perspective. That human perspective doesn't fix anything. Let your faith, Jesus, I know that you can do all things. Let it collide with your suffering. Meet me. Jesus, I know you can heal me. Let it collide with your sickness. Well, what if I don't get, what if I'm not healed immediately? Keep letting it collide. What if I'm never healed? Keep letting it collide because I guarantee you, just like every prayer gets an answer, because no is an answer as well, every person that's sick gets healed that believes in Jesus. Listen to me. Every person that believes in Jesus that is sick gets healed. Even if it's through death. That you stand before God whole. You just got to change your perspective of what healing looks like. You need to change your perspective of what suffering looks like, James is telling us. Some suffering you're always going to deal with. But guess what you get out of it? A godly perspective. Godly perspective. It changes the way that you, you all, it changes the way you live your life. So in James, in this letter, he gives this final word to us, this final thought, and he says this, basically, that faith has to be a faith that saves others. Your faith has to collide with this world in a way that it saves others. And he wraps it up with these last two verses, and he says these words. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away, right, leaves the church, leaves the faith, uh, wanders away from the, from the truth and is brought back, brought back by you, then you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. 
He basically says this. If your faith doesn't collide with your heart in a way that it draws other people that have wandered away back, it's dead. But if you do that, you'll bring life to people for eternity. You'll turn them from death to life, to life, from darkness to light. So what should your faith be doing during this week? Your faith should be activated in a way that leads people back to Jesus. I mean, you've got the greatest opportunity facing you that you could ever experience in your life. It's called Easter. Did you realize this week there's all kinds of people that are going to plan to go to church someplace? They're going to plan to go to church someplace. It's called Easter. I'll never forget. I'll never forget, man, when I was young and I was stupid and I was living for myself and I was living in sin and everything about my life was anti-God. Everything. In fact, I'd even pointed my finger to heaven and said, you don't exist. That's how far, that's where I was at. I remember sitting around an apartment on a Thursday or a Friday with a group of buddies and we were all drinking, getting drunk. And I remember one of the guys in the midst of this moment that we're just sitting around partying, that he goes, hey, uh, any guys going to church on Easter? <laughs> you know, the rest of us there are like, what? What are you talking about? He goes, yeah, I know this. My mom's going to call on Monday. She's going to wonder, she's going to want to know, did I go to church on Easter? And if I don't have a good answer for that, she's going to dog me, you know, for the next week. So I'm going to find some place to go to church. And so they mentioned a church, right? And we're like, yeah, okay, we'll go with you. But let me tell you something that a bunch of guys or girls or anybody that's in a state where they're living life for themselves, let me tell you one thing that they lack, because I lacked this. We, they lack, we lack the motivation to follow through with that simple little statement that was made. And I'm going to tell you today that this week, somewhere along the line this week, that same conversation is going to happen in, with some people that you never thought would ever consider Christ or going to church on a Sunday. And you know what those people need? Because I was one of those people. And if you're one of those people listening to my voice right now, no matter where you are, don't feel isolated. I'm identifying with you as I was there. What I needed was one Christ-centered person. Just give me one Christ-centered person that would have come into my life and said, you know what, hey, you want to go to church with me on Easter? Because I was wide open, wide open, right? Here's all they needed to do. I'll meet you at your house and pick you up. Because if they would have said, I'll meet you at the church, I never would have showed up. Not because I didn't want to, but I don't have the motivation to do it. So go out this week and invite someone to church, someone that you don't even think would ever want to come. Someone that you think has completely turned Jesus off. Invite them to church. And if they say yes, say, what time can I pick you up? Because if you're not willing to pick them up, and they're in the kind of state I was in, don't invite them. Okay, because they're not going to come. The odds of them coming are very slim. Go out of your way this week to let your faith be activated in a way that it leads people out of darkness into light. Will you join me with that? Will you join me? Because I'm going to tell you, next week is going to be an incredible Sunday. We've got some stuff planned that's going to be amazing. You're going to want to be here to hear what we're going to talk about. It's not going to be, you know, the traditional Easter message. It's going to be radically different. It's going to be the kind of thing that's going to woo people, draw people in to the kingdom of God. But I'll tell you what, the shortest sermon will ever be on Easter at this church will be the, will be the Easter I look out and all I see is the same faces. Because if, if we look out next week and all we see is the same faces, here's how the sermon's going to go. Hey, guys, I love you. 
Glad you guys are here today. Um, hey, Jesus is alive and he's risen. Amen. And everyone's going to go, yeah, he's alive. All right, that's awesome. Let's pray. There'll be no reason to preach an Easter message to a bunch of Christians. Let's join together and let's see some of our friends and our loved ones that need to know the good news, just like I needed to know the good news. And let's let our faith collide with our real life. And let's get out there and let's bring friends on our arm. And let's see, let's lead people to Jesus. That's a church that's alive. That's where faith has collided with your heart and it's totally taken over. Let's be those type of people today. Why don't you stand, let's pray. Father, I am thankful for chapters like James 5. It steps on my toes. Um, It gets in my head. It, It causes me to wrestle with things. It's not always comfortable. But Lord, it is definitely beneficial. So Lord, thank you for challenging us with these warnings that come from James chapter 5. Lord, that we can't just sit idly by and wait for things to happen, but we have to take leadership and we have to assert ourselves and get out there and start sharing the good news that we do have so that the rest of the world might know that you're alive. Lord, this is a great week to do that. As we go about with this one one day to feed the world and we wear this sticker, it's going to create all kinds of conversations with people. It's going to be awesome. As we invite people for Easter to come and to hear and be a part of our worship services, Lord, they're going to hear a message of hope. They're going to hear a message that says, you know, you don't have to keep living your life the way it is, but you can turn, you can change, that Jesus loves you right where you're at. Lord, that's a great message. Lord, may may we fill every location that we have and every service that we have with people that need to hear the good news, be led in a relationship of transformation before Christ. Lord, I pray that over this church body. I pray that we would hear you, we would respond to you today. That, Lord, we would actually be doers of your word and not just hearers of your word today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.